mean to alarm anyone or anything. Alarmed us on this show? Never. Never. We with the punches here. I've got blue pop. <gasps> oh, what kind of blue pop? It's bar brand if they want to sponsor the show. Oh, the 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 the, the blue blub bl- is it is this the bubblegum one? Bubblegum. Yeah. Fizzy drink from the AG Bar family of products since 1875. Uh oh shit. What? I thought I was being like proper cheeky. Right. And having a, a rude sugary drink. Is there sugar in that one? Mate, no. Yeah. Mate, no. What the hell? Oh, I'm yeah. getting away with this. Four calories. Yeah. Four calories per 250 milliliter. This is probably a 500 mil. So that's what. Eight cal. Holy shit. Why haven't. Yeah. Eight cal- Why haven't <laughs> I been drinking blue pot this whole time? Yeah. So this this is. For anyone oh. who's not in the UK, this is your cheap and cheerful, like. Uh, 79 cor- Corner shop brand that's like. Yeah, do you do you want like I guess it'd be like forty cents over in the states for mm-hmm. like a can of can of fizzy pop? All right, I'm going to have to start getting an Uber to the nearest cost cutter to to save on my drink prices because it's seventy nine p. So I'll take an Uber every day <laughs> down the road, right at five quid a pop. It'll balance out great. It'll it'll go great. The savings will will rake themselves in, Laura. Uh, I'll take a, a five quid Uber. Down across to the crossroads where there's a cost cutter where they sell bar drinks. I mean, you could just pick up multiple at once. What? Wait, 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 wait. Whoa. What? Laura. Volume? No, no, no. They won't be fresh. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> the point. They won't be fresh, Laura. You haven't thought of the freshness. I'll get one every day. I mean, look, at the end of the day, Laura, Brexit happened. We we, <laughs> we can't turn the clock back on that. I can't I can't just wander around town flashing my cash, buying multiple bottles of, of bar brand bubblegum drink every single day. Because let's face it, if I went into the shop and brought multiple, I'd still do it every single day. So to cut <laughs> down on that, to cut down on the costs... I will only buy one a day, so I will Uber every day to the shop, and then eventually the savings will ma- will rake themselves in, Laura. I mean, you know that that might save you some money on having the fan running because my God, it's too humid oh, and warm it is in the too UK right now. Fucking warm, Laura. Apparently, it's pretty warm in the states as well. Comrades, having a warm one. Well, it depends on where you are. Like my uh, my partner's mother is in town. And uh, they live a little further north, and it's all been nice and cool and hasn't gotten hot. They've used their air conditioner only one day this year. Meanwhile, I am fucking drowning in puddles. We don't get air con here. This is my first summer in, like, 14 years without air con. And it was easier living in Mississippi, where it's about 10 times (laughs) hotter because I could stay indoors with air conditioning. Yeah. I am dying. I've been weakened over over a decade. It's weakened me to this. So here is the, the good news for you. This is only going to last at most a week and then we're going to hit back to winter. Like this, this is, this is British summer. This is right. what everyone tells Enjoy me. Enjoy a week of humidity and then go back to the cold. Thee tells me this. They say, oh, well, we, it's summer only lasts a week. It's why we don't have air conditioning. First of all, no, it doesn't. It does not. That's British sarcasm. Look, the, the humidity week lasts like a week. That's British sarcasm leading us all down a down a, a, a 
hell-paved path, right? Not even good intentions. The actual path is paved with hell, right? And then when you get to the end of that, you get to mega hell, which is apparently Monday and Tuesday. I am not looking forward to those days. Mon- Monday and Tuesday next week are going to be pretty, uh, pretty rough. I'm in fucking Yorkshire. It shouldn't be this hot. I'm, I'm, I'm down south. I'm, I'm, I'm having a bad time. Oh, I don't, I don't even want to know how the smog is making things. There's so much smog down there, Laura. Here's how I've survived this year. Uh, rather than having like a like a standing fan that's designed for cooling a room, I may have purchased a uh, industrial wind machine designed for like. You've got a rock musician on stage and you need mm. their hair to billow in the wind while they're singing a big solo. I've been to yours recently. I have experienced the industrial yeah. fan. I am a fan of the industrial fan. It's a good it's a good thing, Matt. I bought one of those ones that don't have blades, the the Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Little hoop things that blow air out. It's pretty good. You've got to keep it pointed at you, but it does do the job well. I'm thinking of getting like ten of those. It's expensive, but if I cut back on, like, if I can go, like, Thursday and Friday without buying a bottle of Blue Pop, (laughs) I think I can afford it. But, yeah, I might get one of those. The other fucking day at training, right? Yeah. You know, I I go up Sheffield, go to PPW, right, where I'm trained by, like, the best trainer in the world, Liam Slater. I'm there for an hour, right, with my fucking mask on my luchador mask because i can't train in the wig because it will fly off um i've started training without either the mask or the wig lately because i am a bit more confident in it and b fuck the summer but i'm there for an hour training sweltering sweating dripping the next class comes in right admittedly i do one-on-ones and there was about you know five lads there suddenly and industrial fans there. <laughs> and I just, I'm like, that was there the whole time. Fuck. And people laughed like it was, you know, oh, oh, that was a, a, a fun reaction there. And I'm like, no, where's the fan? Goddamn ADHD made me forget it last week. I trained again without the fan. Fucking hell. <laughs> it's too warm. It's too warm. Speaking of... of Professional wrestling, though. Yeah. I beat Zio Knox on Saturday. I saw. I, I saw. Demolished him. You, you you beat up a little little Tory fuck. I beat up a Tory twat to to round up like it was the best weekend for it. Like you know, with Boris Johnson resigning and all of that. Well, you, you say Boris Johnson resigning well, just before we started recording this. It turns out he's. Forcing his own party to have another vote on whether they they have confidence in their entire party's <laughs> leadership. Fucking hell. He's like, I will resign, but first, do you believe in yourselves, Tory party? He's such a twat. He's a twat. He's a twat. But yeah, after that week, it was very fitting that I finally defeated Zio Knox, even though he tried to take my arm out with his fucking croquet mallet. He started the match by smashing my arm with the mallet and then spent a lot of the match just absolutely demolishing it to the point where, like, I'd already sort of hurt, aggravated my arm in the Blackpool show. My God, it fucking smarts. Like, like for realses, my arm fucking canes. And I've got another match on Saturday. And I just took a booking uh, on the same day I've got a booking. So for once, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm working two shows in one day. Business is picking up for Commander Sterling, all right? 
So anyway, if anyone is in Preston this Saturday, July 16th, come to Wacky World. It's an inflatable park. That's where I'm wrestling now. That's that's where life's taken me. But anyway, debuted my new finishing move because he disabled my arm so I couldn't do the choke slam. But I've got two arms. So I used both of them to lift him up in the air by his fucking neck and then deliver a sit-out choke bomb, which I've called the Planet Cracker. Brilliant name. Thank you very much. So that was my weekend, anyway. Choke bombed a Tory. You know what else happened this week? What happened? I tell you what, Laura. Yeah. Let me just let me just take one more swig of my blue. Oh. So I'm nice and and quote unquote hydrated um, from my fizzy drink to um, just just settle in and, and listen to what you have to say about what happened. Video games happened. What? Some of us Whoa! played them. Thank God I was sat, sat down. Right, and you know what? The, the, the reason I might be pushing us ahead with this is it's very warm and the fan can't go on until we talk about video games. So what video games have any of us here played? Who's played one? Uh, you you played some. I played yeah, some. Like, I don't know who... I, whenever you do that, I don't know if I should go first because I don't... Because, like, you've asked, Laura. <laughs> but at the same time... It's always after I've spent 10 minutes running my fucking mouth and it feels rude to talk again. <laughs> See, often the reason I ask is Conrad doesn't write down whether he has or has not played a video oh, game. And I need, that's true. I sometimes ah. just need to get a vibe of like, has has Conrad played 100 video games or one video game? So I know whether to throw the ball to him or not. No, it's 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 going to be a, a low end. Yeah. Uh, I think you might have some suspicions. Okay. I saw a comment on the, the last week's podcast that was just... How is there more to say about Satisfactory? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, there were periods of time where I kept finding new things to say about Pokemon week in, week out, and I'm going to do it again. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, a couple years ago, we would spend like like five podcasts in a row talking about the latest FromSoft game. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, even even Elden Ring (laughs) got a fair bit of cover, so... Yeah, yeah. No, you're perfectly, perfectly. So, uh, I'll, I'll I'll jump in then with some things I've played. Yeah, go on, go for it. Yeah, I've I've been playing some VR games this week. So Oculus slash Meta, because fucking Facebook bought them. Finally, like they've been saying for there was a whole thing where they were like, "Hey, you're going to have to have a Facebook account to use the Oculus Quest headsets," which is a real fucking shame because like the original Oculus Quest headset. My favourite VR headset by far, the one that I want to use most often. And then they started to backpedal it, and they were like, at some point we'll come up with a different solution, so you don't have to have a Facebook account plugged into your VR headset. And they finally have gone, yeah, okay, you here's when it'll come into place, and here's the alternatives. So I was like, you know what, okay, I I feel enough, I don't have to directly plug social media into my brain, that I'm happy to engage with uh, Oculus Quest again. And I treated myself to the the Oculus Quest 2, the newer VR headset they did a little while ago, because there have been some VR things on that that, like, I've wanted to play and I've wanted to check out. And one of the ones that, like, I'm really surprised by how well it works is a game called Unplugged, which is a VR game that entirely uses hand tracking, and it's basically Air Guitar Guitar Hero. Okay. In virtual reality. You, at any one point, will be putting down one of your four uh, non-thumb fingers on one of five different points down the neck of the guitar, and it does a really good job of tracking where your hand is along the, the, the virtual guitar neck and which fingers you have pressed down, and 
all of the notes sort of come along tracks towards you, so you just sort of move your hand to line up with where the notes are coming in and only have the fingers down of the colours that are coming in, strum with your your other hand. It's Guitar Hero. And it works really well. Um, I was dubious about how well it was going to hand track, particularly with the fact that it's hand tracking based entirely off the cameras that are on the outside of your headset. And I was like, if I've got my hand down by my body strumming, how much of that is in view and clearly tellable? But... Yeah, seemed to have no trouble registering my inputs all properly. I, I didn't have any problem with feeling like I had missed inputs. The only negative I have with it is because all of the note tracks approaching you are literally coming towards your hand, your hand that's on the, the neck of the guitar, you do a lot of looking down mm. while you're playing because, you know, on, on something like Guitar Hero, you have the track moving down in front of you and the point it's hitting that you're getting your timing with is in front of you, so you can look forward. Here, if it's a song you don't know, you need to be looking down at the guitar, neck craned down, to see when the note hits the line, or or sort of hits where your hand is. And that did limit how long I could comfortably play in a single session, because eventually I was like, I've been looking down for too long, I need to not play this. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if you... If you practice the song and are familiar enough with the rhythm of it that you can see the notes coming and don't have to look down at when they're hitting your hand, it's going to be fine. But yeah, it's a game for shortish play sessions if you're getting to know the music you're playing. But yeah, it it feels a little more complex than Guitar Hero in that you've got essentially your four buttons uh, that you would have had with your four fingers but five different positions those four could be in. There is enough uh, leniency built in to exactly where you are along the neck that, like, I never felt like I was having to hit a very precise window. I was like, I could by feel get my hand in the position where it needed to be to register properly for each of the segments along the neck. Yeah, I was really, I was really impressed. There's not much more to say about it other than it's Guitar Hero with an air guitar and it works better than it has any real right to. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Steph? What you been playing? Me? Yeah. I played a couple of games this week. Uh, I'm still using the Steam Deck as a PS2, predominantly. Yeah. You know, I've downloaded a couple of GameCube games on it as well now. Um, I'm going to give those a bit of a go. But yeah, um, the main PS2 game I've been playing on the Steam Deck this week is The Thing. Now, The Thing is like up there. Like it rivals Event Horizon in terms of like my favourite horror movie. Of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is fucking brilliant. Uh, to this day, the dog scene still absolutely Ugh. makes my skin fucking crawl. It's just a, a wonderful, wonderfully bleak and paranoid film. And I'd heard the game was good. Uh, this was the old PS2. Um, I hesitate to call it survival horror. It's got a, It's a little more action-leaning than that. But, you know, it's in the survival horror category. It is fucking good. It is good. Um, controls are a little awkward, you know. This was when uh, the the whole third person sort of shooter model hadn't been quite refined. But it it is interesting. Uh, it's you uh, as someone sent to um, the uh, the Arctic base. I forget where it was, but you know the snow base um, to find out what happened. Uh, things quickly go awry. Things like you know, the thing starts doing its 
thing. Thing. I'm not saying this on purpose. I'm trying to avoid <laughs> saying it like this. Look, um, just just say it. Lean into yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so yes, things happen when the thing does its thing, and what what's uh, interesting about the game is they could have just done a very straightforward survival horror with you fighting monsters but they really tried to give it a little more oomph to, uh, than that so it's squad based and different members sort of join up as the game goes on as near as i can tell so you've got your main character who's the leader and you meet different characters who join the squad and they've got classes essentially um so you're kind of an all-rounder you've got an engineer who you'll need to you know play with broken junction boxes and stuff you've got a medic who can heal you up and you've got someone who's more like just a general soldiery grunt kind of fella who'll help you shoot things it's very simple in terms of squad commands you can get them to follow you or, or stay where they are or direct the engineer to do a thing and give them items and stuff but for the time periods, like they really do do quite a bit, all in service to to the like the core idea of the paranoia of the thing as a as a film. So they've all got um, mental health meters. Uh, the more you have them near things like utterly demolished body horror stricken corpses and things, they start to get upset. You're encouraged to check their faces when you bring up the squad menu. Uh, you get a close-up of their faces, and you're encouraged to check those out. And when they're freaking out, it's quite hilarious. They will just wobble about like Jacob's Ladder. Uh, it's not really subtle. Um, but yeah, they'll freak out, and that'll mean they're less effective. They might just stop to vomit. You can give them like a, a, a hypo to calm them down, although so far playing it, they do tend to calm down themselves after some time. There's a trust meter, so if you start acting weird, if you, you know, don't maintain that meter, they'll start to suspect that maybe you're the thing, and they could be the thing as well. That's the the the, the, the fun part of it, is you could be... It happened today when I was playing it, toddling along, thought the medic was fine on the level, suddenly he stops and tentacles come out of his arms, and then you've got that to deal with. I, it was it was a genuine betrayal because he'd been with me for ages. I don't know if it's dynamic. I don't know if it's like scripted. If they're meant to always like turn on you at some point, I do know that you can expose them early because you can find blood test kits. They're very rare, but very much like in the film, you can like test their blood to see if it'll react and expose them. So there is that, but you're kind of loath to do it because it's a very tight resource. And yeah, it's it's kind of awesome. Very straightforward sort of shooting stuff when it comes to combat. There are these little tiny squishy balls of meat with legs that I've dubbed the thinglets um, that you can just blast apart with ammo. Anything bigger than that, like, like any human that's transformed into a big thing, uh, you need to riddle them with bullets till their health slow, then whack out a flamethrower or a blowtorch to burn them. Um, so that's neat. Other than that, it, it is just a lot of sort of um, exploring this base. There's a, a freezing meter if you go out in the cold too much, but it's not it's not oppressive like some modern survival games where you've got loads of meters to manage. The psychology meter on the squad mates isn't too bad, and if anything, it just adds a layer of interest rather than frustration. Just uh, just the idea that you're like, oh, I better keep them away from this absolutely ruined bag of intestines because they'll start puking. 
I'm impressed. I'm glad I finally played it as a big fan of the thing and someone who's always been interested in this game but never got round to it. It holds up really well. I would very much recommend it to horror fans or thing fans that haven't played it. Yeah, I'm super into it. Uh, not fully done yet, but but I mean the loading screen. You know, in the film where Wilford Brimley shows us that like hilariously awful simulation of how the thing takes over mm. stuff, the little red dot that swallows the blue dots and turns red. That's their loading bar. It's a little blue dot, and it gets swallowed up by a red dot, and then instead of loading, it says assimilation complete, and then it's the next level. And you use like the tape recorders that um. Uh, what his face uses in the films to save just little touches like that i like as well yeah i i'm really really digging it yay nice yeah yeah <laughs> other things i've been playing uh i've been playing other stuff in vr i've been putting some proper time into the vr version of resident evil 4 so we talked about this a little bit originally when it released mainly because of the fact that um they have a mode on that where you can have all of your equipment physically on your body. And to get your knife, people with tits are going to have trouble reaching the knife where it's meant to be on Leon's body. Mm-hmm. And I messed around with it a bit at the time and was like, yep, that's punch yourself in the tit range. I actually sat down and like properly sat and, and played through it or played through a good chunk of it this week. And a few things that are interesting about that port. Initially a little bit jarring. All of the cutscenes are 2D cutscenes played on a screen in front of you. They do not happen around you in virtual reality, and uh-huh. it can be a little jarring. Yeah, it's like I can understand them doing that, but yeah. I also understand from the player's perspective that's got to be. It's like going from being in the game to like watching a movie, and it's it's not necessarily like a problem. You get used to it fast, but it's a little it's a little distracting and a little jarring at first. The other thing of note is that you don't have to have the equipment sort of all across your body. You can just map it to an analog stick and a held button for a little radial menu. But those things aside, I was surprised at how well that game translates to VR and how good of a job they did not making it a motion sickness filled mess. You've got the option if you've got a strong stomach or someone that's not prone to motion sickness to run around just with your analog stick running you around, but they thankfully offer the ability to basically teleport around, which is what a lot of VR games will do, teleport to a new static point and fight stood on the spot. I think they've done a really good job with this of balancing having things that you do using motion in VR that, like, picking up items off bodies, things like that, reloading your gun, little things that are deliberately there to be frantic in the moment, while not forcing motion on you unnecessarily for other things. They get the balance pretty well so that, yeah, having to remember to get where, where your ammo physically is to grab it off your hip and put it in your gun while there are zombified people running at you, Yeah, it's tense, it's scary. They do a good job with basically every weapon has a laser sight, to help with the fact that you don't have a center screen reticle the way you did in the original game. And that is a very appreciated little touch. Generally, you know, just trusting your instinct and pointing and shooting will work well enough when you're not at distance, but I I appreciate the sights. Yeah, it, it 
it translates really well to VR. Like, it's very much the Resident Evil 4 you remember with cutscenes played on a screen in front of you rather than, you know, being around you. But if you just fancy Resident Evil 4 and you want to feel like you're experiencing it a slightly different way, this is one of the better VR ports of, like, a non-VR game I've played. Yeah. That feels like, oh yeah, I could play this full video game start to finish in VR and not feel like I'm going out of my way to do something I wasn't intended to. And considering how little they've changed from the original game, that feels pretty impressive. Yeah, it's Resident Evil 4. Steph, did you want to do another one? Yeah, I'll do another one. What you, have you been playing? Another one I played. Um, again, this one's... Uh, actually, yeah, no. I'll tell you what, I'll quickly do instead of one of the PS2 ones. Uh, they remastered... Well, it sort of is as well. Uh, they remastered the Klonoa game. Oh, see, I've been... I, I've been meaning to play those and I haven't just gotten to it yet. I have them downloaded. I've heard that they're really good ports to come back to they're solid yeah like it, it yeah. literally is the two klonoa games yeah with better visuals like that is it they have okay. not messed around with the gameplay in any way it's still really cute and really neat and i still love the because it was sort of designed back in the day to like really show off some graphics because even though it's a 2D platformer, there was a lot of depth to it. A lot of mm -hmm. the platforms curved backwards and forwards so that you, you know, Clara would, would go in and out from the screen a lot. And it's still really neat. Like, obviously these days there are, you know, way more impressive games graphically, but it's still just a really neat way of making a 2D experience just uh, feel a little more visually interesting um, and, and deeper um, in terms of, you know, perspective and that. Uh, so that works out really well. Yeah, it's still... I haven't played the second one yet. I've I've been playing the first one um, before moving on. Uh, I remember the second one having really awesome, like, sections where you're jumping down a waterfall or something. Like, like you're, you're jumping from a great height down into the water. And I remember it was, like, almost vertigo-inducing. It was just... had this real sense of, of height to it. So I'm looking forward to that again. Uh, but otherwise, you know, if, if uh, listeners haven't ever played Klonoa, it's... Uh, you're a weird little cat thing with weird little ears. And you grab these really, like, wonderfully designed enemies. Like, they're all just round little creatures that are cute. Rather than jump on their heads or shoot them or anything, you grab them and hold them. And you can use those to throw them into other enemies, like like in a Yoshi game or something. Or you can use them for double jumping. Uh, so, you know, you, if you grab one, you jump, then you destroy it to bounce off it and gain extra height. And they use that for a lot of um, puzzles. Uh, yeah, it's just really neat. It's been fun getting back to I've always had like a... a fondness for Klonoa. Not, never being super into it, but it's always, if I remember Klonoa exists, I go, oh yeah, Klonoa existed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, it's nice that they're out uh, again and they're on, like I think, all the major systems and that. Yeah. So yeah, you can get it on the Switch if you want or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's still quite good. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. I'll I'll do one more while I'm here, and then I'll throw throw over to Comrade for Comrade's one video game segment. So I've been playing a bunch of Monster Hunter again. I got back into Monster Hunter. Ah. Because when Monster Hunter Rise first came out on Switch, I got really into it for a while. Um, played a bunch of it on streams. Uh, I put like seventy hours into it. 
and did not finish the base game. And like, it, this is usually how I end up with Monster Hunter games. I'll play a bunch of it, drop off, intend to get back to it and just never do so. And they've recently released a big DLC called Sunbreak. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to pick up the DLC because I haven't finished the base game, but this does remind me it exists. I'll go back in and try and finish it. And a couple of a couple of play sessions sat down, I, I got through the base game. I thought I would be a lot more rusty than I had, like, you know, considering I haven't really played it for about six months or so. Came back to it, got back in the rhythm of it pretty quickly, and went... Yeah, I'm enjoying this. I could do with more challenge. And I, I went and picked up the, the the DLC expansion. So I am currently like five ranks deep into the the Sunbreak expansion. I've really enjoyed a lot of the, the creature designs they've had in the, the DLC. They have felt distinctly different from a lot of the base game uh, stuff that often felt like it was, here is another dragon with a different element associated with it. The first fight you have in the DLC is a giant hermit crab, and its shell is a big tricer- a triceratops skull. Awesome. I fought a gorilla that does hyperbeams out its mouth. Of course it does. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? There was one that was a spider, but what if a spider was wearing armor made out of spider's webs so you could barely see the spider because there's just so many webs on it? But they've had some pretty, some pretty fun designs. It's more Monster Hunter. I usually don't get like this for um, for Monster Hunter games or for games in general. I've been just jumping into random matchmaking and playing a bunch of online multiplayer in it. Nice one. Having a good time. You okay? It helps that it's a game where there's no communication with other human beings. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose that would make a difference. Just drop me in a map where no one can talk to me and other people can be a distraction. And the reason why I'm having fun, because I like playing with, I think it's called the Charge Blade, which is a sword that you can build up a meter and then change it into a big axe. And then it has like a very powerful big attack, but it's very slow. And if I hop into random matchmaking, I can let everyone else distract the monster so it's not looking. So I actually have time to do my big attack that makes me feel powerful. It's probably not the most strategically useful thing for me to be doing, but I want to do the thing that makes me feel strong. And that's easier to do if other people run around getting hit for me. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I have, like, gotten back into this game with quite a vengeance, and this is definitely the Monster Hunter that has really kept my attention. First, like, 70 hours with it is probably more than I generally spend on a Monster Hunter anyway. Mm -hmm. I normally don't come back when I leave them. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot how much I liked Monster Hunter when it came out, and now I'm playing a bunch of it more. I should get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. The fact there's just been a new DLC means that, like, there is a lot of people playing online if you want to jump in with other people, which has been really nice. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Conrad? What have you been playing this week? Well, I have, uh, you know, obviously been playing a lot of Vampire Survivors. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I uh, I am back into this pretty hard because I finally settled on a character. Who have you settled on? Uh, Ziasunta, I think, is the one, the the newer one that comes with the other whip. Yes. Yeah, and so I've got something like ninety golden eggs on them, and I'm just doing long library runs. Um, in terms of stuff that's like new since the last time I, I can recall really 
playing it and thinking about it, there's some great quality of life stuff that's been implemented. Like, um, when you reach that point where you're just going to get corn bags or floor chicken, you can now say, I want coin bags or floor chicken. And you will get that for the rest of the run. Yes. And I love that so much. That's wonderful. I also, I think that, and maybe I'm crazy, I think they've changed how evolution works on most of the weapons. Uh-huh. Because I, I seem to recall needing the secondary item to be at maximum level also before the evolution would happen. That only happens now with the uh, Laurel and Clock Lancet. I don't remember needing them at max. I could be remembering wrong. See, I seem to recall needing them there. I know that the others won't. I won't get it until I've got those at max. But I have, and I'm finally getting into the uh, the randomatsu, mm. which I hadn't really had much interest in, and I still don't. I find it to be kind of an annoyance and an interruption in what I'm doing. Um, but at least now I have enough of them unlocked that. There's at least something mildly beneficial with each round that I collect. And I'm I'm starting with uh, Disco Fever, so I've got gold rushes happening all the time. And it, it's interesting because I have settled into just doing the same run in the inlaid library over and over again to maximize as much money and uh, golden eggs as I can get. And I've probably done this... 10 times now and i don't mind because it's just so passive and simple there had reached a point with me i think with some of the unlocking stuff i was like eh, i don't feel like digging around to do this but the same rote thing for some reason is working better i don't know why that is but i'm rolling with it for the moment and and really having the game remains great and i'm i'm eager for it to progress a little bit more even though I'm I'm actually fine with where it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I stopped playing Satisfactory. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Has, has it finally defeated you? No, I don't think it's so much that is I defeated myself. I started looking at the thing that I was building and, and determined that, well, eventually I'm just going to have to go do this other thing anyway. And so I'd go start doing that. And that just kept happening over and over again. I was looking too far forward. And not getting anything actually accomplished. Yeah. And so I just decided to stop playing. And I, eventually I will get back to it because yeah. I inevitably do with all of this stuff. But uh, for now, taking a taking a breather from, from Satisfactory. Sounds like a good good shout. Yeah. Yeah. What what about you two? Did you play anything else? Uh, no, Steph. What have what you, what you been playing? I can quickly give you two ps2 games just to round out the ps2 ones i've been playing i played evil dead a fistful of boomstick i'm sorry yeah i saw that on the list and i was like oh yeah i thought you know what because i have played regeneration before and you've talked about regeneration um recently on this podcast conrad so i knew what i was getting into there never played fistful of boomstick it's bad it's real bad it's just a straight up fucking bad game yeah the combat is like just horrible button mashing like but to an extreme degree to the degree that you can't really do much else there's a blocking button but you might as well not use it Mm -hmm. because deadites will just attack you like from behind and front at the same time um so taking damage feels a little random i'm at the first boss and it's fucking shit yeah just overall not impressed with it it's just it's very sparse the um 
gameplay is just a lot of backtracking monotony. It's very stodgy. Oh yeah, control-wise it's awful. Also, I'm I'm taking note of how many PS2 games had inverted camera controls with no option to fix that problem. I'm just not used to it anymore. I'm just not used to pressing like right on the camera stick to like have the camera move in the same direction with me moving. Mm-hmm. And rather than have it go the opposite way, it's just throwing me off. Well, and and I want you to know that this is still one of the better Evil Dead games. Well, that's true. Yeah. Like, Hail to the King is... That one I've also never... I only ever played, until the recent um, multiplayer one, I'd only ever played Regeneration, despite loving Evil Dead. Uh, is Hail to the King, is that a PS1 game? That's a PS1 game. Yeah. And it is so bad. And it's unfortunate, too, because it's it's the one that holds the truest to the source material. Right. You know, with the cabin and, and all of that shit. It, but... It's just dog shit to play. Yeah. It's got that Resident Evil tank shit and oh it's it's bad. It's real bad. Okay, yeah, yeah. Won't won't get that then. And the other one I played was Kill Dot Switch. Hmm. The old uh Square Enix published third person cover based shooter. Often credited as the first or certainly the most influential. Um, you know, this predates Gears of War and everything, but it said that Gears of War was very heavily inspired by Kill Dot Switch. Yeah, it's a rudimentary third-person cover shooter. Isn't as refined, obviously, as it's become over the years, but you can certainly see the the, the DNA in place. Uh, it's fine as a shooter. It does have an interesting story. The, each mission is so generic. It's like, you know, go here and plant a bomb, and here are some generic soldiers for you. But there are voiceovers uh, and visual effects that all but state it's some sort of computer simulation. Having never played it before, I don't know where that's going, but I am intrigued enough by that. Each level doesn't have checkpoints, which is tough, because it's also one of those cover-based shooters where if an enemy decides to just break cover and get to you in time, it'll take just... and you're dead. Uh, so that can be annoying, especially when you're sort of swamped. But it's all right. It's it's certainly an interesting game to play in that even though it's not that interesting, historically, it's relevant. So, yeah, I've been sort of enjoying that one. Um, not as much as, as the thing, but I'm glad I, I've played the, the inspiration for that sort of genre that became so massive. Um, Laura, did you play anything else? Uh, yeah, I played a couple of other things that I'm going to very quickly rattle through. Okay. So I saw through to the end of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge. Yeah. Did a playthrough of that with Jane in co-op. And yeah, that, that game is short but fun. I am glad it exists. And those last couple of uh, boss fights can get real tricky, but very much enjoyed it. Really worth a go. Well, and it still feels meatier than either of the arcade offerings. You know, there's... Yeah. And and again, I don't know if it it's because it is meatier or just because coins aren't relevant to determining its length, but it is it is a decent length of time for just a nice couch co-op experience with someone and added a bunch of fun with it. I've been playing more of The Quarry, which is that interactive horror game from the Until Dawn people that I mentioned a little bit last week. Yeah. I played a bit more of it now, and I really like the character writing in this. Love them or hate them, I feel a lot more strongly about this cast of characters 
than I have done about the last uh, the the characters in the last couple of um, Dark Pictures anthology games. I think they've done a good job of having very early on a lot of existing interactions and group dynamics set up that are then fun to play around in the space of. And while my initial thoughts on like, okay, you're being pretty open about what the initial plot is, um, there is definitely more to it than what I knew last week. Like it, it's more than just here is here is a werewolf. They're trapped at a camp and there's a werewolf. There's some other things going on that I'm enjoying quite a lot. One thing I didn't mention last week and I wanted to know is that I really like the way that tutorials are handled in in this game. They are all done in really nicely animated uh, instructional cartoons with a voiceover narration that reminds me of the old um, Twilight Zone narrator. Rod Serling. Yes, yes. Uh, very clearly trying to do a sound alike of, of that performance. But they're, they're, they're very fun and there's a lot of hearts being put into them, which I appreciate. But yeah, it, it's it's one of the better Supermassive games in a while, and I, I I feel like I'm pretty near the end of my main playthrough, so I am curious to finish that off. Anyone else played anything else? Or uh, I did play one other game, which I'll note mainly for the awkwardness of the criticism. Yeah. Uh, I played a game called Spirit Hunters Infinite Horde. Mm -hmm. Now, it's another Vampire Survivors style game. It's another one. Really nice art style. It's an early access Um Really nice uh, art style with some creative enemy designs, little evil cactuses or a mummy ghost that's also an astronaut for some reason. I live streamed it the other day. Mm. I was not having fun. Was this the day where you had the dragon soup? Yes. This <laughs> is the, the day I drank dragon soup, an energy drink vodka that made me feel queasy. It'll do that. I felt so queasy. Either you, either your body will embrace it or reject it. Oh, it rejected it. It, it <laughs> fully, fully said no thank you, never again. So yeah, I played this on stream and I was slagging it off. I was like, God, this is shit. I'm having a shit time. Because I was, because the game is fucking, like, it's just, it doesn't, in its current state, it does not get how these games work. First of all, you start off with four weapons uh, to choose from. That's a lot of weapons. Four weapons, not at once, but oh, four okay. to choose from. Uh, and that's it, by the way. You can unlock more, but you start off with four to choose from. You pick one and then can unlock the others as you play, very much like Vampire Survivors. Uh, kill enemies, pick up the XP, and either continue to strengthen a weapon or pick new ones. Unlike with Vampire Survivors, it's not linear. Uh, each weapon, you can get a choice of different stats to upgrade. Mm. The main problem is, is of the th four starting weapons, only one is what I would call approaching fucking useful. Mm. The main issue is none of the others are designed for what the game is. So the one that works is a, a fireball orbital. It's just a fireball that rotates around you, and you can use that at least because it works on a predictable pattern and moves with enough rotation to crowd clear. The other options are an arrow, that intermittently fires in the direction you're moving. It is thin. It travels in one straight line, doing barely anything. You also have cleave, which is sort of like the whip in Vampire Survivors. It just attacks left or right with a small melee range. And the cooldown is 
fucking awful. Like, so bad that if you pick it as a starting weapon and try and use it, like, you will take so much damage waiting for it to activate, and it... it it, it's so awful and even when you up if you upgrade it and focus purely on the cooldown it still won't be anywhere near efficient by the time you're you're finished it's so excruciating the other one which is the second most useful are spears which travel um which just spawn randomly on the screen so it's not very really very reliable uh, it does good damage, but it's not. You can't rely on it to clear a path for you or anything. So everything's inefficient. It, it, you can't rely on anything except the fireball. And because this game is the way it is, one of the stats you could upgrade actively makes it worse. <laughs> so you can evolve the fireball to be as shit as the other weapons. Because if you do attack size, which is usually a good thing in a game, like the area of effect, it makes the fireball bigger, but moves it further away from you. And considering you can't rely on anything else to protect you, once something's through the fireball's parameter, you're fucked. It takes longer to move away from an enemy to get them back in the fireball, because the fireball's further away. And eventually, you know, the game will swamp you with enemies. And enough of them, even, even if you don't expand the range, like, enough of them can break through, and whether or not you've got the cleave, you're fucked. Because the cleave is just not useful as an attack. Because, again, of the cooldown, you can die long before that thing attacks more than once. I then started, to, like, there's, there's a permanent skill tree, which is just massively sprawling. And I unlocked a couple new weapons. One of them is a whirlwind, which combines the, um narrow focus of the arrow with the randomness of the spears <laughs> so it just throws three fireball uh, three whirlwinds out and because they move so slowly they often disappear before an enemy even reaches them so they're useless and then i got tangling vines i'm like okay that's good slow down enemies around you uh they combine the <laughs> They combine the randomness of the spears and the tornadoes with the shittiness of the game in general. <laughs> not good. Not good. Again, random little patches on the floor that do barely any damage. And that's what you're working with to start. Like, things are either random or so uh, uh, excruciatingly slow, they might as well be. The game itself moves really slowly. It is sluggish. Upgrading weapons doesn't have much of a note. Like, it's so incremental that it doesn't feel all that satisfying. I was saying all this while playing. I was saying I'm having a bad time. I'm not enjoying this. I It's shit. Someone in the chat was being very helpful. Oh, no. Um, just sort of being like, you know, um, you might want to go in this direction for the skill tree. Um, the, the arrow isn't as random as you think. It will go in the direction you're moving. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm the developer. I'm taking notes. Oh! Yeah. Then I spent the rest of my stream having an even worse time than I was having. Because here's the thing when a developer is watching a stream in which you've been, like, tearing into their game. You're then caught in this position where, especially if you're like me with a massive amount of social anxiety, you feel incredibly awkward. And you're like, you, you feel hesitant to continue slagging something off in front of someone because it feels mean. While at the same time, for the rest of the audience, you don't want to suddenly be cowed no. and dishonest and, and start, you know, kid-gloving everything. So I, I just continued doing what I was doing, but feeling really bad about it. 
really the developer was really good about it um the the dev was saying you know i'm taking genuine notes it's in early access we want to improve it um i did look at the store page later and saw that a lot of the criticisms i had were shared by other users so you know i don't feel so Mm. don't feel like i was picking on it uh i was pointing out stuff that was sort of um relevant in terms of criticism but yeah it's the art style's really good, and I want to like it because, you know, clearly we're seeing a lot of these survive up kind of games, and, you know, I want something to, to be a proper competitor, but I've played Nomad Survival 20 Minutes to Dawn and Spirit Hunters now, and it's just nothing's quite nailed the power fantasy of it. Yeah. Um, of, the, of that sort of what I guess is turning into a genre. It is in early access. Visually, it does look delightful. Uh, so I want to like it, but it's... I'm going to give it a while. This is one of them ones I'm going to drop in maybe after a couple months, see what it's like. Right. Uh, because right now it, it's it's a, it's a just unfun. It's just not fun. And yeah, that's everything I played that's worth talking about. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So we got some news for this week. And I was going to start with like actual important news and interesting news. But something's come up while we've been recording today and I feel the need to tell you both about it. Uh, so Bayonetta 3, finally coming out in uh, November, I think it is. It got a release date while we were recording. But my favourite bit of news is that they're introducing a mode in the game where they will put more clothes onto Bayonetta and other characters uh, and by, by their own description so that you can play the game in the living room without creating an awkward atmosphere. Respect. Yeah, it's the put some clothes on so you don't have to pretend you weren't wanking when your parents come in and see you playing. Ha <laughs> ha. It's it's called naive angel mode. Fucking hell! Just be a sweet little naive angel. Put some some clothes over those titties. No one's gonna think of you're watching porn while you fight God. <sighs> you know what? I'm fine with it. I've, <laughs> I mean, yeah. For years, I've always argued like like people say, "Oh, you're an SJW. You want to censor games?" And I'm like, you know what? Myself and many others like look how much like Yokotara's games are like considered fine yeah. in a lot of left spaces because. Because he's honest about it. Because he's not doing Hideo Kojima saying you'll be ashamed of your words and deeds when you find out while we have this why we have this character padding around in the nuddy. I think there's something also to the acknowledgement that maybe, just maybe, you might feel uncomfortable having this on yeah. when other family members might be present, regardless of whether or not you think you should be wanking to it. You know, nobody likes watching a sex scene with their parents in a movie. Nobody enjoys that. Like one example here given is when Bayonetta does her transformation and she's got all the hair swirling around her. She could either be naked with hair covering up the the, the bits that all naughty bits or she's got clothes on and she's doing the same transformation. It's like, yeah, I can see there's an audience for this. Yeah. I do still think that it's cute that it's called Naive Angel Mode. Oh, it's a lovely name. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's like, you know, don't do a Kojima and pretend that you're doing it for any other no. reason than than source. Yeah. Be like Yogataro and say, what you know, when asked why 2B wears very few clothes, say, I like women with very few clothes. Just own up to it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you'll find out. Like, I've, I've made this argument for years. Like, a lot of the, the you know left-leaning people I know are some of the thirstiest, like, the Mm. thirstiest fuckers out there. I feel a lot more creeped out when a creator tries to, like, excuse it than when they just go, 
I just wanted them to have their tits out, honestly. Yeah. Just lean into it. I respect that. It's all I've ever asked for. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to other news. This past week, there was uh, Brazil's International Games Festival took place, and a game developer named Mark uh, Venturelli was going to be doing a talk called The Future of Game Design. And uh, you might have heard about this talk, because about three minutes in, he put up a slide and announced he was changing the title of the talk to Why NFTs Are a Nightmare, at a convention uh, at an event that was entirely sponsored by a bunch of NFT companies. And I have a lot of respect for this. Mark is a, a really cool guy. We uh, we had him on Sup Holmes like years and years back mm. and when he was working on Chroma Squad and he's very smart and and this is a clever a clever thing to do to grab attention yeah. and and sort of direct it at the problems and remind people that hey, you know, not letting these people just sort of move into this space. I mean, not to draw comparisons to Nazis. <laughs> but there's a thing about spaces yeah. where people who want to uh, take control of spaces yeah. ultimately as their goal, or they will move in and be your friend and, you know, find their way in until it's acceptable for them to be there. And then they'll invite all of their shitbag friends in with them. Yes. And that's what this is. Yeah. One NFT company in your games convention is one too many. Yeah, so... It's worth looking. There's a there's a good piece on PC Gamer where they followed up, where they did did a follow up interview with him after this talk, and he says a lot of interesting stuff about like I think he puts it very well when he says blockchain sponsors and NFT companies need to buy their relevance because they're not actually inherently relevant to games as a space. Uh, these people are outsiders here. They're not important. They're just trying to buy their relevance because they have no actual influence over the future of the industry. If you just give them this space uncontested, you're just giving them exactly what they want and buying their narrative that they're relevant. And I think that, yep, that, that is very well put. And a lot of respect to the uh, event organizers who were aware of this, allowed it to happen, were, were perfectly yeah. comfortable with the idea of their sponsors being... Potentially being a bit miffed yeah so I, I i think on the whole all the way around this was pretty well managed and hopefully you know well well hopefully the nft people get the message and you know i mean i hate to say oh gosh i don't want these people to get you know money to sponsor their event but at the same time i would rather not have nfts sponsoring gaming events it's they should die they should die they should die it's a bold statement i mean they're dying yeah, well, we all are, though. So it's it's very fitting that fucking GameStop recently unveiled far, far too late uh, their NFTs, most of which are like some of the ugliest fucking gifts you could ever hope to see. That's a bold statement in the NFT space. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, even by their standards, some of them are like, holy shit, did a child draw this? And that's compared to the artwork we've seen for NFTs before. It's a fucking embarrassment. Yeah. NFTs are an embarrassment. Quick update on a story we had last week. We talked about a bunch of Ubisoft games that are just not... Their, their DLC is just not going to work anymore. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks from now, I think it's uh, the 1st of September. Yeah, people seemed really furious and up in arms about that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, right? It's amazing. <laughs> like, 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 finally, finally, people are up in arms about what Ubisoft's done. <laughs> oh, wait, it's not about all of the sex abuse. No, no. 
So there's a little update to that story that was a back and forth thing. So initially there was a statement on uh, the Steam page for Assassin's Creed Liberation HD that said that the game would not be accessible from September 1st onward and implied that people who owned the game and had it downloaded would lose access to the game entirely, not just new people couldn't buy it, and that the whole game was going away. And Ubisoft have gone, pulled back and gone, oh no, sorry, we worded it wrong, we're going to change the wording, it is only the, it's only the DLC you purchased that's for offline single-player content. It's only that that won't be working. Oh, that's okay then. We're only taking this away from you. Yeah, and like... <laughs> It's very weird reading them, like, try and spin, we're only taking away your single-player DLC as a good thing. <laughs> it is the thing. The fact it was so believable that they'd just take the whole game away was like, yeah, that, that feels about the state of where Ubisoft's at. If you're going to take someone's single-player DLC away, why not take the whole bloody single-player game yeah. while you're at it? Other bits of news... So Kojima Productions has had to threaten legal action uh, recently. Had to. Are you aware of this story? Oh god, yeah. Um, or has has done so. Had to is maybe not the right <laughs> word. So yeah, Kojima threatens legal action over claims. There are claims, I believe, that started on 4chan that Hideo Kojima is a left wing assassin that killed the Japanese ex prime minister. And this comes from a. a- photo of kojima from many years ago or or no or someone who looks yeah. vaguely like it's ter- it's it's nonsense yeah now i will say however hideo kojima this is the guy who has you know written stories about conspiracy and um body yeah. doubles and all of this crap for <laughs> you know nigh three decades yeah and lo and behold yeah this is this is happening I, I it's not to say that i don't have sympathy for the man because yeah nobody would want newspapers picking you know like right-wing newspapers picking up a photo of you that 4chan has made available and saying you tried to assassinate the japanese prime minister yeah so the the to be clear they weren't saying hideo kojima did this it was an image that was not labeled as Kojima. Right. That was like, this is a picture of the person who assassinated the Prime Minister. Yes. And it got a worrying amount of traction in, like, actual news sources. Um, There was a Greek news channel that started running the image. A far-right French politician was sharing the image uh, and had to later apologize and walk it back. Like, there was enough that there were there were places that had seeming credibility sharing a picture of Kojima saying, yes, this is who assassinated the Prime Minister. Because this is where we're at as, as a, yeah. a global information exchange. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that's a story that happened that, that went on this week. I, I, you know, I, but again, very sympathetic. You really primed a fucking pump here. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how we talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that E3 is threatening to come back as a physical event again? Yeah. Yeah. We got an update about that. And this leads me to think it will come back, but it won't be E3 as we've all known it in years past. E3 is being brought back in conjunction with a company called Readpop. 
And I don't know how much either of you know about Reed Pop as a company. Well, these are the, the people that acquired uh, Penny Arcade Expo. Yes. So they, they run Penny Arcade Expo, EGX here in the UK, MCM Comic Con. Uh, I believe they also run New York Comic Con. They are very much a public-focused convention group that are very focused on get as many paying fans through the door as possible for a fan-focused event. And we don't know for certain, but that sh- like them getting involved sure makes it seem like E3 is going to go the this is a public-facing event and not focused on press room. Well, that direction was... You know, that the ESA for a long time has, you know, been making the move in that direction yeah. simply on the basis that they realized, oh, shit, we're not going to get enough draw money wise by being industry exclusive any longer. So, yeah, this feels inevitable. It would be my hope, though, as a trade organization that they would still have, you know, some industry only access to it that isn't just like the way they handle it at PAX where you come in for two hours ahead of everyone else and that's the fucking end of it. So it it's it's interesting because I'd be curious if it plays out that way. As you said, like the year before E3 stopped being a thing before COVID, the last E3 we had was the one where they started letting in the public and there was a lot of talk about the, the first one that got cancelled was going to lean into a lot of advertising stuff. But, like, if you look at what Jeff Keighley's been talking about with Summer Games Fest next year, he ran essentially the press element of E3 this year. He had a separate event that was just for press that was a bunch of the stuff that was going to show up at Summer Games Fest, and he has made it clear he wants to do the same again next year. And I wonder if we end up in a world where E3 is the public-facing event and Keighley runs the press-focused event. It sure seems like that's a, a lean, that it, uh, that's where the diverging point seems to be between the two. I think that's where Keeley needs to go if Reed Pop takes E3 in a purely consumer direction. Yeah. Uh, but I still, I still think that Keeley is, is, wants to do the consumer focus. I, I think that that's his, yeah. that's his brand and personality. And, and, you know, as much as he has been an industry insider, he's always, presented that industry to the public so the impression i get is that he wants to do both yeah well of course he wants to do both yeah but i don't think he might get a choice in the matter and i I feel like if e3 leans really hard into being the public facing one i think that's the space keely's got is is lean into being the press focused one yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see it read pops events are very how many how many human beings can we squeeze through a door kind of events. I'm very curious to see how that's going to mesh with E3's return. I won't go. I can't imagine you would. I, I would rather die. It's not me having a go at Repop or anything, but I would rather die than go to a packed out game convention ever again. Honestly, it, uh, I would be surprised if next year's E3 isn't essentially just Gamescom. Yeah. And like I, I'm picturing Gamescom and the nightmare that is to cover as anyone in the press as probably what E3 will be on its return. Uh, I, you know, maybe I'll be surprised, but uh, uh, we got more Activision Blizzard news, because of course we do. Activision Blizzard staff plan a fresh walkout after recent attacks on the civil liberties of our employees. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote from the uh, a better ABK Twitter account. Uh, I'm glad that they are continuing to push for more things. 
We're calling for protection of several communities of marginalised workers. Employees are actively facing state legislation that is putting women, LGBTQ plus employees, and their families at risk, with other vulnerable groups on the horizon. Our walkout demands focus on the protections of ABK employees from external threats, like the recent overturn of Roe v Wade, and internal threats such as retaliation and harassment while in the workplace. They go on to, to reiterate that the current healthcare policies at Activision Blizzard do not adequately protect its staff, and there are concerns particularly with certain medical procedures becoming um, illegal and the company maybe not having the right policies in place to protect workers who have to go and deal with medical needs. I'm, I'm glad to see that they are continuing to push. Other things that they've stated, um, Activision Blizzard currently offers $4,000 reimbursements for out-of-state medical care, but they currently leave employees open to legal prosecution in their home state. They are demanding that there be things put in place that if the company offers someone financial support to leave the state to get medical care, that there will also be legal protection available or some money towards legal protection should that also be needed, for example. There are demands for staff to be able to choose to work remotely, to be able to be protected from anti-LGBTQ um, discrimination. Basically, a bunch of very important things have been listed. And Activision Blizzard has completely ignored it, because of course they have. Well, yeah, obviously. And boy, just thinking about the the legal protection for out-of-state stuff, that's... I don't want to say that that's it's. I don't think it's an unreasonable ask, but it's the kind of ask that I cannot imagine coming through. I I feel like it's the kind of ask that isn't going to come through, but it's important to note. Like, hey, that four thousand dollars you're you're offering yep. means nothing if. Oh, it's it it's important to bring it up, and it's you know, but I. Oh. It's it's the kind of thing you bring up so that in negotiations. Yep. You maybe drop it to give some leeway, to give some room, to say that you've dropped a, dropped a, made a concession. Although everybody everybody in the room already knew going in that there was no way in hell that was gonna fly. Yeah. But you, you act as if you act as if you're confident it's gonna happen and you're giving up a big thing when you let it go. Ugh. Just the liability. Oh my god. Yeah. But, like, I don't think right now anything happens of this, but I feel like this is a better ABK, like, starting to make intentions known so that once they have a, u a union in place and everything's gone through, there are starting points of things to debate. It's good for them to lay out their expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we this is what we expect of a company that actually gives a damn. It's them putting what they want on the table with the knowledge that they are about to gain some power within the company. Yeah. And that they are going to be in a position to start making demands. And this is a good list of things to be demanding. So, yay, hooray, continued pushing against ABK. Yeah. And one of the best things is the industry already burned its excuse for raising games on prices to $70. Yeah. They can't yeah. get away with, with any more than that right now. So they can't now raise the prices and blame it on unions like a lot of companies like to do. Ha! Yeah. Yeah. I say that, like, the industry's shameless enough that they might try it, but I don't think they will. Hmm. Uh, last couple of, couple of news stories. We've got another Activision Blizzard one. Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard King is under investigation from a UK regulator. 
because it's a huge, potentially monopolistic acquisition. This is unsurprising. Uh, the Competition and Markets Authority in the UK is getting all screwed, putting their scrutiny over the deal for the next couple of months uh, to make sure that it isn't anti-competitive. There is no indication that like this necessarily means that there's anything wrong. It's just it's a very big deal, and they're gonna have their eyes over it being all scrutiny-ish. But who knows? We may have some news come out of this, and it felt worth noting that it's happening. We got more stories of stuff that you paid for digitally just not being available anymore. If you bought movies to watch digitally on your PlayStation, and particularly movies by the, the, the company Studio Canal, if you're in Austria or Germany, they're just going to take your movie away and not refund you, and that's that. That's just theft. <laughs> your movie just won't work, and it'll go away. Um, the the statement, as of 31st of August 2022, due to our evolving license agreements with content providers, you'll no longer be able to view your pers previously purchased Studio Canal content, and it will be removed from your video library. And, and that's it. Yeah. No refund? That film you bought? No. That is stealing. Like, obviously, legally, they've managed to, to corporate their way out of this shit. M moral, it's theft. But it, it is you theft. Bought, you, bought a pro you bought a thing and we decided no. Heaven forbid that we pirate games or pirate films, but they're allowed to, like, just take it away. Now, 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 we all know you didn't buy a product, you bought a license. It's a service. You bought a license, yeah. Like a service, mate. I bought a fucking film, give me it back. Yeah. Fuck you. Like, pirate. Like, like just steal things. Yeah. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Steal things, do it in my name. Just steal things. If you pirate a thing, they can't take it back. Right? They can't take it back if you just steal it. If if you do ever get like done for it, just say Stephanie Sterling said it was okay. Say they incited me to do <laughs> to do this. <laughs> steal in my name. Oh. <laughs> just steal. Oh. Just do it. They're gonna do it to you. This is gonna keep being very funny every time you say it, Steph, until the day it's not funny anymore. Oh, one day it's going to be very, very serious. Things will go badly for me. But right now. Until then, all aboard the truck. <laughs> and the last story, EA have told people, hey, there's a leaked version of the upcoming skate game on the internet. It's an early build. Please don't go download it for yourself. Oh, I'm sure that worked. There's a leaked early version of an un unreleased game. Please don't Google skate demo download and go play. Please don't do that. Oops. And I'm going to be honest. I went and looked on so on Twitter to be like, am I, am I right here? Yeah. People didn't know this had leaked until, like, news <laughs> coverage of this quote got out, and suddenly people were going, oh, there's a build of Skate I could just go download online. Cool. I went and did it. I went, I, I ignored EA. I went and downloaded it. Hell yeah. The one time, the one, the one fucking, the one fucking time <laughs> they don't observe the, we need to just keep quiet and ignore it and it will blow over thing. They... Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. So if you're curious about how the new skate plays, there is a build, it's about nine months old, it was from September last year, that was meant to be for internal playtesting. Everything is currently big, untextured blocks and whatnot, but you can get a sense for how it feels to play and skate around in it and test it out. 
it feels quite nice. It it feels good to play. Don't don't do what I did. Don't go play it. EA said not to. Don't don't go play this new skate game. Fucking brilliant. That's out there for free for you to download. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It really feels like all they've achieved by telling people not to do it is that they've told people it exists Good. and that it's easy to go get. Good, I'm glad. I, 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 I'm going to be honest, I mainly downloaded it out of curiosity because like, I've, you know, I, I've done work that has involved seeing early builds of games before, but like, this is, this is real early. Like, this is earlier than like, consulting work or mock reviews or that kind of stuff. This is... We technically got the core mechanic working level early build, and it's kind of interesting to just play around in the space and get a feel for where a game was at what point in its development history. It is an interesting little curio. But yeah, I think that's everything for the news this week. Is that everything? Yeah. Well, talking of interesting little curios, I'm sure that our listeners might be curious to learn what you might be working on, Laura, that they could go and see and experience when they're done listening here. Well... Sorry, I've moved the microphone. I might have sounded like I was off then, um, away from the microphone. I've moved the microphone and I just said all of that while looking at where it used to be. (laughs) Sorry, please do tell folks about your stuff. (laughs) I'm at Laura K. Bars pretty much everywhere. Um... Currently, the things that are... Go check out Spread Your Wings by Convoke. I appear on that song. Go give it a listen. Also, in like a month, me and my Dysphoria Monster comes out. That comes out on the 18th of August. Go give it a pre-order. Give it a look. It comes out next month. It's real soon. Other than that, just Laura K. Buzz. Go look at Laura K. Buzz everywhere. You'll find all my stuff. What about you, Conrad? Oh, well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram, that Conrad Zimmerman on Twitch. And you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. And check out my cat, One-Eyed Potato, on Instagram. He's real damn cute. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Indeed, indeed. Uh, my Patreon is patreon.com slash jimquisition, uh, which supports all of the game's media work. Uh, I also stream at twitch.tv slash jimsterling, um, where you can see me um, basically just hurting developers' feelings by accident. Also, wrestling dates, upcoming live appearances. Things are getting busy. Uh, This Saturday, July 16th at Wacky World in Preston. Uh, It is the Wacky Rumble and I will be facing Axel Strife in singles competition. On August 6th, I will be in Leicester making my debut with Wrestling Resurgence at the Y Theatre. August 20th, I'll be at the Jubilee Club in Newcastle, where I will be the director of ceremonies for the debuting wrestling promotion, Avant-Garde Wrestling. I will also have another booking on that day in another part of the country, uh, and I will give you details of those, of that, as and when they're announced. Currently, September's empty, probably won't be soon, uh, but in October, October 1st, I will be in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling. Uh, I will be in an eight-person elimination match, uh, a match that also features Kid Bandit and Simon Miller from What Culture. Speaking of whom, uh, it was announced uh, this past week that 
I will be facing Simon Miller one-on-one -on -one <gasps> in Blackpool yes. on October 8th for PCW. A match seven years in the making. Commander Stephanie Sterling versus Simon Miller. It's going to be huge. So that's Blackpool um, October 8th with PCW. All the details are on my social media at uh, Twitter, at Jim Sterling. Um, and yeah, hopefully more dates announced. Things are really busy. Uh, plenty of opportunity to come see me do my thing. And I meet people as well uh, after every show, um, as and when I can, which is almost always. So yeah, plenty of opportunity to come see me, say hi um, and everything. Uh, and even if you don't like wrestling very much, a lot of uh, fans have turned up that aren't into wrestling and became wrestling fans or certainly fucking love to see it live because indie wrestling live is something special. Um, so yeah. Those are all my dates. Thank you so much. Another guaranteed date is next week for another episode of Podquisition, where we will see you then. Thank you so much, and goodbye. Bye. Bye.